Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Freedom in Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the whole law. You, who are trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Hmm. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Life by the Spirit. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. Or you'll be destroyed by each other. This is the word of the Lord. If you could keep Galatians chapter 5 open in front of you, that will uh, help us as we move through uh, this passage uh, together this evening. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to kick into this together. Will you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, week by week, uh, we gather and we pray at this point, and we ask a similar thing every week, recognising that you have made us as people who can listen, who can learn and adapt. In fact, you tell us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So we pray tonight, Lord, that faith uh, would come, an understanding of what it means to trust and hold on to you in light of all that you have done. I pray that I would speak faithfully and that your word and your spirit would be our guide. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, my daughter, Charlie, who's uh, in the room, so this might get awkward, uh, but I've asked permission but didn't tell her what for. Uh, she's 16, she's learning to drive. Uh, that's what for. Uh, she's doing great, in fact. In fact, she's been doing great from the very beginning, so great that I just get in the car and say, you're free. Um, go where you want. At any old speed, 
in any old lane, any old time. You're free. Um, actually, it isn't quite like that. Um, in fact, I don't think it was probably like that for any of us when we were learning to drive. Uh, you seldom as a parent get into the car and go, just do whatever comes naturally. Um, you're free. Do it. Um, but suppose Charlie actually stopped for a moment and asked me, well, what do you mean I'm free? How free? How fast? Um, am I free to go over that embankment through that backyard? Am I, how free am I? Can I drive this car on sand? How free really? Dad, what is freedom? It got me thinking about freedom. And so I thought um, maybe I would go and embark on some kind of search for some helpful insights. In recognition of Kieran and his absence, I thought I'd go to his guru... Uh, he's always quoting Johnny Farnham. And Farn, Farnsey says, uh, he actually does, surprisingly, he says it's a song of, a heart, of the heart. It's a race in the wind. It's light in the dark. That's freedom. It's a measure of trust when love is alive. It's tender and tough. That's freedom. It's all about, it's all love is about, the opening up and the letting it out. Let freedom ring. Um, so freedom sounds like a good thing. Let it ring. But I don't think that those lyrics really give you much clarity at all about what freedom is. And then, um, actually, Charlie was driving. We were fanging it through DY. She was trying to get all the, all the green lights. And I've taught her how to say this, uh, when it's orange, there's a little bit of green in that. And uh, on she flies <laughs> because she, she's free. And, uh, but she had me listening to rule, um, which is pronounced like the word drool, um, which is quite fitting, I think, who, incidentally, Rule, uh, is free to spell his name with phonetic imprecision. Um, But as I was listening to his new album, his new song, uh, he has a song about free time. And I I thought, I I love free time. I mean, who doesn't want free time? But as you listen to that, you realise that free time's miserable. All of my friends said, don't worry, I promise you'll be fine. But now I'm all alone, I'm lost in my phone with all this free time. I used to spend it with you and all the stupid stuff we used to do, but now that you're tied up, I'm tired of all this free time. It's terrible. Freedom sounds lonely. It also sounds like Rule has had to suffer a lot in his very short life. Poor bloke. Freedom. Of course, the Rolling Stones sang about it, didn't they? 1965, all about freedom, and it made, in fact, the mantra of a generation, a generation that was interested in capturing freedom. I'm free to choose what I please any old time, and I'm free to please what I choose any old time. So hold me, love me, love me, hold me, I'm free. And yet, such freedoms enslaved many and disappointed and deluded others. It was a search for freedom, but it slipped right through people's fingers. See, what's freedom? Is it the power or the right to act and to speak or to think as one wants without any kind of hindrance or restraint? Just throw off the shackles. Because for many, freedom is seemingly the right to do what I want to do when I want to do it however I want to do it, with no boundaries and no rules and no restraints, with with no limitations. To do what you want to do, to be what you want to be, yeah. (laughs) See, does freedom mean the absence of law and order? And and all of a sudden you, you, you catch yourself, don't you? You say, no, no, wait, that's chaos. And chaos 
is the antithesis and it impedes freedom. Well, freedom then it requires limitations, I take it. But then isn't that about oppressive decrees and restraints? And obviously, that can't be freedom because that's slavery, and slavery denies freedom. And so what are we to make of it all? Because we come to a passage in Galatians chapter 5, and it's all about freedom. In fact, this whole book really could be summed up about being about freedom. And when you read through it, you need to ask, what does it actually mean to be free? In what sense? Verse 1, chapter 1, it is for freedom... That Christ has set us free. What is it going to mean? Three weeks ago, we began a series here in the five o'clock church in Galatians, and it's under the title of Freedom, Now What? And over the first two weeks of this series, Kieran has traced for us the first four chapters. It's a letter that gets written to a group of Christians 2,000 years ago who are in need of being reminded of what true freedom is all about, because they're drifting away from it. They've received Christ and the freedom that he brings, and Paul is very worried that they're about to give that all away. See, we discovered that there's actually this incredible freedom that Jesus brings, a freedom from the penalty that our sin deserves. And the Galatian Christians have taken hold of that, but it seems that they're likely to surrender it. And Paul is deeply worried, writes a letter to counteract it. When John Stotts wants to speak about the kind of freedom that is being addressed in this letter, he says, it is the freedom of the acceptance with God and access to God through Christ alone. A very specific kind of freedom. A freedom we have now to enter into God's presence because our sin has been dealt with. And now as we hit to chapter 5, we come to the now what? If I'm now free, free of sin's penalty and free from the law that would enslave, now what? And in the first 15 verses of this fifth chapter, Paul has two big things that he wants to say. In fact, he wants to address two things that would wreck your freedom. The first has all to do with legalism. And it will run through the first 12 verses, through 1 through 12. The second is about license, about permissiveness, about indulging. And that'll run in verses 13 to 15. In the first section, when he's talking about legalism, Paul brings a warning and he says, do not lose your freedom. And in the second, as he comes to think about license, he says, there's a warning, don't abuse your freedom. Don't lose your freedom, don't abuse your freedom. Because these are the two great enemies of true freedom, legalism and license. Legalism has you holding the idea that if you obey the law, the requirements that God has laid down, if you lived in a certain prescriptive way, you could earn God's merit, his favour. It's the idea that uh, Christianity is a set of commands which if you obey them will improve your standing in the eyes of God legalism. Licence is the opposite. It actually says just ignore the laws of God because of God's grace and his favour. Because Christ has in fact died and redeemed you from the curse of sin and death, you're now free. And in fact, as you sin, he pours out his incredible grace upon it. And so do what we want because our sin is already paid for. 
So great is God's grace and the capacity of the cross. Live free. But both of them are wrong. Because the cure for legalism isn't license. And conversely, the cure for license isn't legalism. You see, Charlie makes this mistake as well. Sorry about this, Charlie. When she's reversing, particularly. She gets this right when she's going forward. But when she's going backwards in the car, particularly out of the driveway, which is somewhat difficult, she'll start to spin the wheel and go one way. And then I'll say, no, 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 that's enough, that's enough. Well, actually, I say much more calmly. I say, just go back the other way, honey. And then she starts to go back and she goes all the other way. She, she overcorrects in one direction and then will overcorrect in the other. And there's a point where I'm done with the calm vocalising instructions that come every time we're in the car together. And I grab the wheel and then I'm in the driveway. And, well, it's actually this way. And I'm flicking it around and going backwards. And Charlie just sits there and I just say, just feather the clutch, we'll get out of here, we'll be fine. See, the, the problem is you go all one way and then all the other. And, and that's not the way. Paul actually, in this section of the passage is effectively grabbing the wheel in chapter 5 and saying, be very careful. Careful how you think about your freedom and don't overcorrect in one of two ways. Let's think about legalism for a moment. Come to verse 1 in chapter 5. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't put yourself again under the law. In fact, you have been set free. Literally, for freedom, Christ has freed you, is how verse 1 reads. And that ought to jog our memories and say, that's right, Jesus' whole mission is about bringing freedom or liberation to people. In Luke's Gospel, it records a time where Jesus takes up a scroll and he reads from Isaiah and he says these words, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. See, Christ came to the earth to set captives free. Well, free from what? The bondage of sin and death. And he does it by his death on the cross and his victorious resurrection. And there comes an incredible exchange such that I no longer carry the debt. I'm freed from my sin and it is laid on Christ. If you want to think more about that great exchange, I preached on this this morning from Romans chapter 8. The incredible assurance that we can have of the one who has died in our place to set us free that we might now stand without any condemnation before God. And Paul says, because you have been set free, stand. It's interesting, isn't it? Stand firm. He says, don't go backwards. It's actually a military phrase, and it means to guard your post, to keep alert, to resist attack and hold the line. And then he goes on to qualify what he means by this. Do not again submit to a yoke of slavery. The the, the yoke of slavery picks up on an image of that timber cross member that would sit across the shoulders of two bullock, two cattle, two animals that are going to plough a field or pull a heavy load and it ensured that the two oxen went in the same direction, led by one driver and they would pull evenly. And, And when the yoke was taken off, well, what a burden to have that lifted off. And here in this passage, it's a metaphor 
for subjecting oneself to the Old Testament requirements of the law. There are false teachers that have come into Galatia, Judaizers, who are saying that you need to go back to aspects of the law, particularly the ceremonial act of circumcision, that thing that marked you out as belonging to the people of God. You need to go back and and place that burden on the shoulders of these new believers in Christ. And it seems like many of the Galatians who professed faith in Christ were doing just that. And Paul says, resist it. Don't do it. Don't submit again to that kind of slavery. Don't put yourself reattached to the rules and the restrictions. This is a, this is a false teaching. This is a teaching that's now been done away with. Mark my words, he says in verse 2. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole of the law. See, if you think that the law needs to be met, then you've got to meet all of it, not just that one thing. So how will you live? Are you going to go back and put yourself under the law and earn merit? Now, now I... I doubt that the idea of earning God's favour by being circumcised is going to tempt very many of us here tonight to take up that kind of yoke and think we're impressing God somehow. It's not really the the issue of our age, but it was the issue for the early church as it thought what it meant to be the people of God and that the mark of being the people of God circumcised, how does that fit together? How do we understand this outward sign that you are now observant? And in Acts chapter 15, we get a description of exactly this case being argued for. In verse 1 of Acts 15, it says that some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Oh yes, Jesus has died and he has been buried and he's resurrected to life and salvation comes in no other name. And so, yes to Jesus and in order... To be saved, you must comply with the legal requirement of the law and be circumcised. And Paul and others refute this in the rest of Acts chapter 15 and again here in Galatians, saying it is not true. In fact, if we put that onto people, it is to negate the power of Jesus as the only way to be saved. If you could get to salvation by observance to the law, then then why did Jesus need to die? And if Jesus really has died and it's his death in my place that pays my penalty, then the outward symbol or the observance of the law means nothing. That burden has been lifted off. So much so that Jesus elsewhere in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying there is a new operating system, a new way to live. See, imagine you've taken the yoke off that bullock and it's been released, but the animal still walks around, both of them tethered together, bearing the yoke, just walking through the paddocks. It makes no sense. It's been lifted off. So do not go back, says Paul. Stand as you are. 
If you are in Christ, you're free. And it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So don't submit again to the bondage and yoke of slavery. In verse 4, he picks it up. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. You had this thing that was wonderful. It was a free gift. And now you've added all these compliance requirements. For the spirit that we eagerly await by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You you, you see, if you think that it's going to get you there by some moral exertion or or through some, you'll be excluded because of some moral failing because you didn't do that good thing, Paul says, no, no, no. That's not the paradigm anymore. It's all of grace. None of that has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And we have this great confidence because it's not based on our performance, but on the full and finished work of Jesus. That's why he says in verse 5, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. We have this confidence. We eagerly await by faith, trusting, not in ourselves. But you see, if you think it's on your performance and whether you've kept the law, well, you'll anxiously wait. You'll always be worried. And then in the next section, Paul goes through and asks him how it all went so wrong. The false teachers that have come in and wrecked it all. Who was it that introduced you to this performance narrative that said it was about the gospel plus? Who told you to straighten up and fly right and that was going to somehow earn your merit? Well, as they came, they, they cut in on you and they redirected you and, and they are not of God. And in fact, that kind of teaching, he says in verse 9, it's like yeast, it spreads. And so be very careful of taking anything that says you need to have Jesus plus something else in order to be saved. And as he moves through that, he speaks of the confidence that he can have knowing that he is on the right track, teaching the gospel truth, and that that is to be preserved. He uses really strong language, in fact, to get that across, doesn't he? As that little section finishes. He says to them, look, if if people are telling you that I'm saying that you need to be circumcised, that I'm still preaching circumcision, some kind of self-salvation narrative, then why am I being persecuted? I'm being persecuted because I'm saying that Jesus is the only way to salvation. It's because in that case, he goes on to say, the offence of the cross would have been abolished. No one has a problem with it. But in fact, he is being persecuted. And then he draws his attention to those false teachers, calls them agitators, And he says, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Everyone crosses their legs, winces, don't they? It's a terrible thing. But but catch what he's actually trying to convey here. He's not conveying violence. He's saying there ought to be a passion for gospel purity and a, a passion for people's salvation. That this kind of teaching stops here and now. You you breed it out of existence. So that it cannot continue because it is so destructive to say that legalism will lead you to salvation. See, here's the warning that comes in these first 12 verses. Do not lose your freedom. Don't lose it. Not by adding to it and thinking that you've got to earn it in some way, but rest entirely on grace. 
And then he goes on in the next two or three verses, in verses 13 to 15, and says, don't abuse your freedom. And here he's talking all about license, where I indulge and I I live as I please and I presume on the grace of Christ. See verse 13? It's got a little do not phrase in it as well, just like verse 1 does. You, my brothers and sisters, we are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And of course, that's what happens, isn't it? It's the overcorrection. I'm away from the law and woohoo! Do whatever I want. But remember, the news in Galatia is that Jesus has brought them a quality of freedom that they have never experienced. A freedom from sin and guilt and the penalty of death. They are free now. They're on the freeway, knowing that he is the way. And in fact, he's the model of the way. But they're free for what? I've said this before and some of you might remember this, but it's always important to ask the question when you're set free from something. You might be free from something, but what are you now free for? So if you're set free from prison or an addiction or a tackle or a shark bite, what are you now free? I mean, it's great to be free, but the tendency is not to consider what comes next because what comes next is likely to be the thing that will enslave you. You say free from, oh yes, terrific, but free for what? Use this illustration before, but suppose Kit goes fishing and Kit catches a big, catches a big fish, which he's done before, apparently so. And as he as he hooks it up, he hauls it into the boat, and uh, and there it is, boom! It's in his hands. How big do you want it? Kit, massive, I suspect. Hook's still there, and it's big fat lip. And, and there, the fish turns and looks at Kit and says, "Thank you." You don't know how terrifying it is to swim around in the ocean and you have now liberated me from that watery grave that I've been swimming around in all my life. I'm free, says the fish. And then Kit reaches with a pair of pliers and pulls out the hook that's through his lip and he goes, well, that's terrific. I know that lip piercings are all the trend, but I'm very happy to get rid of it, says the fish. And now I'm even more free. I had the hook in the lip and now it's gone, I'm free. And so what do we do now? Shall we play cards, 500, Kit? You any good at that? And the fish is all excited about what comes next, but then he looks down and Kit's got a knife. And he's got a barbecue hanging off the back of the boat. <laughs> and he says, but wait a minute, and what's that marinade? <laughs> See, he's free from something. But he's still enslaved, isn't he? Free for what? And the Christian is set free from sin by Jesus' death. And that is wonderful. And the next question must always then be, what do we do with our freedom? And Paul says, two options. You could use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature and thereby deny the freedom that you've actually just been given. You'll be enslaved again, enslaved to sin. And you'll just seek to gratify the flesh. And Paul brings the command, don't do it. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Or, second option, second half of verse 13, you could use your freedom to serve. Rather, he says, serve one another humbly in love and I reckon that comes as a shock that he says it like that because it's not the most obvious thing that springs to mind that says that you are now free to be a servant in fact the language is actually stronger it's the word slave free to be a slave to serve in the most devoted sense to give yourself totally to another And of course, what makes that instruction so easy is it's so culturally popular to live for other people, isn't it? (laughs) It's not popular at all. 
It wasn't popular in the first century either. And that's why Paul has to command the Galatian church to live like this, to serve one another humbly in love. Because the freedom that they've received is a freedom to keep in step with Christ's spirit, the God that now dwells in them. And how does he use his freedom and his strength? Just quickly, let me remind you of an amazing passage. There's a time where Jesus is met by one of the mothers of two of his disciples. Uh, The mother of Zebedee's sons comes and asks, will you set my two kids at your right and left-hand side when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus turns to them and says, do you know what's coming? Do you understand all of this? But then in verse 25, he says this, as he calls them all together, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, And their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And Jesus demonstrates a complete reordering of what true freedom looks like. A different economy. It's a paradox. A paradox that says, if you want to be great... Go low, serve, descend into greatness and demonstrate your freedom that you now have because of your identity and your adoption, the fact that you have been set free from the penalty of sin. You are liberated, so serve. And the more you lose, the more you will gain. At its heart, it is about sacrifice and Jesus knew that. So he goes on in verse 28 of John chapter 20 and says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says this is the model of what it looks like to live. You've been given this incredible gift of free grace. You are free now. You are on the free way. How will you live Well, will you submit again to this idea that you'll have to earn your merit in some way, pray a certain way and get legalistic in some capacity, that you'll earn God's favour because of the amount you give or the times that you spend with other people? Or will you see that God is somehow obligated to you because of your good performance? Ridiculous. It's all of what Christ has done for you. So ignore the idea of legalism and do not lose your freedom. But do not indulge and abuse your freedom, and think that you could live for yourself. In fact, you are to live for others, serving one another humbly in love. Why? Verse 14, and we end with this. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. And it is the opposite picture of what it is to humbly serve, to look to the needs of others before your own. See, go and think on Philippians 2 as you head home this evening and what it means to reflect the one who humbly came with all power and strength and had the freedom to descend into greatness, to humble himself and show us what true freedom looks like lived out. Or are you enslaved? Are you prone to overcorrect in one way or the other? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you call us 
to understand our freedom that we have in Christ. To be set free from judgment. To no longer have a fear that we might be rejected. That the performance narrative of our life won't measure up because you have told us that it's your son's perfect obedience that has been credited to us and we have been declared righteous, free, debt paid. Lord, would you show us tonight how we might live in the light of that and Lord, where we've indulged in that freedom, we want to come with repentant lips and hearts that would bend towards you, knowing that we have strayed and presumed upon grace. And Lord, where we have sought to earn our merit and thought that we've somehow performed in a way that would impress you, Lord, would you draw our attention back to the cross and to the full and finished work of Christ in our place, who has set us free. And Lord, would you empower us that we might be free to serve. No longer a slave to the sinful nature, but a slave unto righteousness, serving one another in love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.